chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, if you'll look there with me, uh, it's an interesting subject here. And you know, you imagine Solomon. Solomon had quite a bit of money. How many of you know Solomon had quite a bit of money, right? And uh, Solomon is teaching on the subject of borrowing money. He's teaching his son uh, some things about the subject matter. And so we want to look at verse 1 of chapter 6. And it says in verse 1, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hands with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, as a bird from the hand of the fowler. You say, preacher, what is that? <laughs> he is talking about borrowing, lending, and co-signing for money. And uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight. So what does the Bible have to say about this? Um, I thought this was so appropriate. I didn't decide to just do this tonight, but, you know, Christmas is right around the corner, isn't it? And a lot of us will put ourselves uh, in financial harm's way to deliver gifts to people. And uh, we need to be cautious about that. Uh, and I, I just want us to think about as this is fast approaching this time of the year, uh, we find ourselves being overwhelmed. We, we feel, I don't know if it's, how many would say guilt? Would you agree? Uh, if you don't do something or uh, you start to feel a heaviness like you're supposed to do this, uh, uh, am I the only one that feels that way? I'm the only guy in the room that feels that way, right? And yeah, see, <laughs> I know Jim doesn't feel that way. He likes hanging on to his money. But we do, we kind of get to that place. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, the day starts to approach and we think, man, if I just definitely don't give, you know, Walmart half of my income this year, I don't know what I'm going to do, <laughs> right? Now, if we said it like that, we'd say, well, wait a minute, I don't want to give Walmart my money. And, uh, but that's pretty much what we do. And, uh, and I just want us to think about this. Now, not that we are not to do for others. We are to do for others. And, uh, you know, uh, but often this, at this time, we put ourselves in some financial hardships just to give gifts. And I want to challenge you to really rethink what we're doing around this time of the year because not that we don't want to do kindness or be kind one to another or maybe do things for families, but don't put yourself in a financial hardship to give gifts. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can give folks that could not cost you anything. You can give them your time. Uh, you can give them, uh, you know, uh, different cards, different things you can make, different things you can do uh, to not put yourself in a tough situation. But the real purpose of this time is to celebrate the gift that our Lord provided us. Would you agree? I mean, isn't that what we're talking about, really? The delivery of Jesus Christ to this earth. You say, how do you know he was born on December 25th? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea whether he was born on December 25th or not. But I know that we celebrate his coming on December 25th. That's why we're doing it. And so I say to you, what a wonderful time. We want to recognize our Savior being born and given as a gift to us here uh, on this earth. And so it's, the Lord provided us this gift, and it's, it's turned into a marketing scheme. I mean, they start marketing this stuff as early as August, you know, early Christmas sale <laughs> in August, or uh, Christmas in July. How many of you have seen that already, you know? I, I remember watching a Charlie Brown movie, and, and uh, it's, uh, it's Easter, I think, and up on the sign it says 265 days till Christmas or something like that in the store, you know? And, and you watch this, and we, we really push ourselves to put ourselves on, a burden on ourselves to do this. And so 
Uh, I think it's just like kind of a marketing scheme for the business world, especially retail sales or specifically toy sales. I mean, they really push that stuff uh, to the kids and try to get them to do stuff. Phone sales go through the roof. People buy phones they can't afford and uh, get on payment plans they really can't afford. And uh, they do all these things because they want to give this gift. And that's the gift that keeps on taking all year long, right? Because <laughs> it just keeps taking the money right out of your pocket all year. And, uh, and so Solomon here, though, is addressing a specific aspect of debt here. It is that of surety. He uses the term surety here. And uh, what we're talking about is covering for another's responsibility for a debt they will owe. And uh, when we're looking at this, it is one individual allowing another to obtain money or material goods and they become responsible or the responsible party uh, for that debt should the borrower fail to pay or the true borrower fail to pay. We would use this word today, it's called co-signing for a loan. And uh, essentially making you the borrower to the lender. And you say, well, no, wait a minute. Uh, I signed for Jim, so Jim could pay the bill, but if Jim doesn't pay the bill, guess who's going to pay the bill? Pastor is if he co-signed for it, right? He's going to be the one that's going to pay the bill. And so I want to tell you what the Bible actually says, and so I want you to just think about this because this is just one aspect of, of uh, borrowing uh, that we want to be careful about. And so we've, we're given some warnings here, and I want to challenge you to use biblical principles and wisdom when it comes to borrowing and accruing debt. And so you want to use what the scriptures teach, not just what I think or how I feel emotionally about something, but what does the Bible actually teach us about this? So are you using biblical principles and wisdom when it comes to borrowing and accruing debt? So the Lord wants us to help those in need, but not put ourselves or others in a position to become indebted for another. If you want to give help, uh, do not be an enabler for another to accumulate debt. Don't become an enabler for them to accumulate debt. And so be careful with that. So we want to look at a couple of specific warnings here given when it comes to borrowing for another. Uh, <clears throat> so he speaks of the surety and the snare. And so I want to talk about that first, this surety and this snare, this co-signing and what it does to you as the co-signer. And, uh, and then in addition to that, how do we avoid this trap of falling into this, which often, uh, I'll be honest with you, it is often an emotional appeal and uh, and usually we are driven to do things based on emotion rather than fact and truth and so the first thing we want to look at is these first two verses here and this is Solomon giving his son some warning about things and so the clear point made here is to avoid putting yourself or family in a position that you owe for another person's debt co-signing or surety so what is the Bible's position we're to take when it comes to co-signing or making yourself responsible for the debt of another. Uh, the fact is, it clearly says, do not allow yourself to get involved. Don't get involved in it. Uh, it is not a good thing for you to co-sign for someone else. And uh, if anything happened to that person, you can become personally responsible for that loan. Uh, or uh, most often when you're co-signing for a loan for someone, uh, generally the interest rate on those are above what uh, a standard interest rate would be in the marketplace. And so you go and you co-sign, and this person, if they were able to make payments to begin with, most of the time, they themselves would be able to borrow based upon their own personal signature. But you become the signator for them. And so you may become an enabler to someone and actually harming them rather than helping them and putting them into further debt rather than helping them remove themselves from debt. And so you've got to be cautious about this. You say, preacher, why are you talking about this? Because the Bible says so. And uh, so I want you to kind of know. And then this warning to us against uh, becoming liable for the financial obligations of another. So a co-signer is the one who is ultimately responsible for the debt and should be the 
should the actual borrower default. So in other words, just what I shared with you, if, if Jim came to me and he said, uh, hey, Pastor, I want you to sign for this loan, and, uh, and uh, I say, well, Jim, what, what's the purpose? And he says, well, listen, you know, uh, we've just fallen on hard times. I got another job, and this kind of happened, and that kind of happened, and I, I just need you to co-sign for this. I'll take care of it. I promise you. I'll take care of it. And I just need you to sign with me so that I can get this loan. And we go down and look, and you look at an average interest loan on a home right now out there, generally somewhere around 425 to 4.75%, right? And money lends at about a $600 per $100,000. So if you go borrow $100,000, that's about 600 bucks a month. And so whenever you look at that and you see that, and you say, well, well, Jim, where are you working? And, uh, you know, how much money are you making? And what do your bills look like? Well, that's really none of your business. I just need you to sign. <laughs> and, and the thing of it is, is you sign up for that. And Jim loses his job. Jim passes away. Something happened to Jim. Jim gets mad at you. Jim's deciding, I'm just not going to pay it anymore. They're not going after Jim. They're going after you. And so if I were the co-signer on that, they're going to come and get me. And so be cautious. Here's what Proverbs 22.7 says. The rich ruleth over the poor. How many of us believe that tonight? Amen? <laughs> the rich ruleth over the poor. That is why there's so many credit cards in this, in this world today. Because the rich ruleth over the poor. We have to have it now. We want it now. We must possess it now. We don't have the money for it now, but we're willing to pay over an extended period of time at a certain interest rate to accomplish this. And when you think about compound interest, they asked Einstein what was the greatest invention in the 21st century, and he said, compound interest. If you look at most credit cards, guess what they are? Go ahead, you can say it out loud. We're, we're all adults here. It's compound interest. <laughs> and they nail you. And, and you can have $1,000 on a credit card, and if you're at, say, uh, 19 29 up to 29% interest on the card, how long do you think you're going to pay on that if you make the minimum payment? And you say to yourself, that's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. No, people do that. And it's just pretty common for folks to do that. Compound interest is so difficult on you. And listen, when they say compound interest, <laughs> did you ever look at your bill? And if you haven't paid that bill at the end of each month, I want you to look at what your payment is, what the interest is that you paid, and what actually went to your card. It's a wake-up call. And you say to yourself, oh, you know, I can just pay month by month. My daddy told me if you can afford to give that credit card company that money, you can afford to put that money away and then go buy whatever it is that you're going to do. He used to tell me that all the time. And so when you look at this, the ritual is over the poor, but listen to this. And the borrower, the borrower is servant to the lender. You become servant master, uh, you, you know, you become servant to the, to the, uh, to the lender. So whomever that money, you get that money from, you become a servant to that person. Because that bill has to be paid every month until it's paid off, right? And all that interest accumulates. How many of you have ever really amortized your mortgage and looked at what you're actually paying in interest on the home that you're purchasing? It'll blow a gasket for you. Everybody that gets a home loan, they tell you, if you can put an extra $100 or you can put an extra, and most of us extend ourselves out to where you can't hardly afford, just, you're just meeting your mortgage payment. And what happens is they tell you to put an extra 100 or $200 a month on your mortgage. And if you look at how quickly that knocks it down, because that goes to the principal. You see, when they have compound interest on your car, they're killing you. <laughs> you just watch how that calculates over a 30-day period. So every day, they're, ca they're, they're calculating that based on the balance. 
that's on it. So then you give them an $80 payment and $43 of it goes to the interest, right? And then you got fees and other things that come out of there. And by the time you're done, about 20 bucks went to the principal. <laughs> and then they're going to calculate that daily. Every day, their compound interest. That is what they're doing. They're taking the balance and they take that number and they calculate that over a 30-day period. They're killing us. So the borrower becomes servant to the whom? Lender, until that thing's paid for. Now, this is not a restriction against borrowing money, but the depth of this is to avoid getting involved with high-interest loans. In the days in which uh, we're reading about here, the Israelites would lend money to another Israelite, but no interest was charged. They would lend them the money, but not charge them any interest. And anybody outside the camp, if you would, uh, <coughs> they, they would... Uh, charge the non-Israelites interest, but then even in their day, you go back and look historically, they would uh, avoid having to charge high interest, so they would, they would say not to do that, even to people that were outside the camp, if you were outside the Israelites. So in those days, uh, they would do this, but the Israelites would not accrue interest, but interest was allowed, but not for, uh, for only for non-Israelites. So the warning here is not against borrowing or lending, but against being held accountable for another person's high interest loan. However, high interest on a loan was forbidden even to the outsiders, and so they were very cautious about that. They would watch and make sure that they didn't do this to others. And so we need to be wise about this. So this phrase that's in here too, if you underline this in your Bible, he talks about stricken thy hand with a stranger, indicates that it would be okay to do this for a family, but not someone outside the family, but you're not charging them interest, you see. And so you're lending the money. <laughs> so... You're not charging them interest for the money. But the meaning is that co-signing is advised against altogether, and the warning seems to be what I would say restrictive, especially with loans carrying that exorbitant rates of interest. So Solomon warns his son that such an arrangement is a snare. And so if you look at this, he says, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. And, and he says, Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. And, and when he's making this statement, uh, one of the things he says is, listen, by your agreeing to this, you're entering into agreement of your, of your own doing. You're allowing yourself to get snared, if you will. You're allowing yourself to get trapped when you do this. Now, you say to yourself, well, how's that happening? Well, all that person has to do is default on that loan, and you'll find out what the snare is. And so if they got a three, four, five dollars $500 a month payment, right, and now they're not making the payment, guess who is? you are. <laughs> and if you don't make the payment, they're not going after the person. They're going after you. They're going to take every dime they can get from you until that thing get paid for. Now, in Proverbs 22, 26, you might want to write this down. It says, be not thou one of them that strike with hands. In other words, don't shake hands on this. Don't put your hand in the pot on this. Don't agree to anything like this because, or of them that are sureties for debts. Don't become that. Because when you do that, God said, you're putting yourself in a snare. You're causing yourself to get trapped into something that potentially could harm you. And, you know, co-signing on a loan is often, according to the scriptures, a cause for great trouble. And we can look at some scriptures that teach that when that occurs, it creates trouble. It can even create trouble inside the home, inside the household, inside family members, and that kind of thing. So you've got to be cautious about what you're doing when it comes to this kind of thing. So we're... We are then cautioned against getting involved with borrowing for another family included, especially when the interest rates are high because you obligate yourself for a financial debt for another. So you're to use biblical principles and wisdom when it comes to borrowing 
and accruing debt. So this is the warning coming from Solomon. So becoming surety or security uh, for another person's debt, it can lead you into a trap. And so what does he teach us? So if we look at this, look at verse 3 there. He said, does this now my son and uh, do this now my son and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Key, uh, give not sleep to thine eyes nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a rogue from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Here's what he said. You need to take care of this as swiftly and as quickly as you can. Don't even rest until you get this thing taken care of. And so when I look at this, this the answer is, or the one solution is to deliver thyself or avoid the trap, is by keeping yourself released from this kind of an obligation. Don't put yourself in that position to begin with. Now, as I was reading this, I said, well, Lord, then what do we do? You know, when it comes to family or friends or neighbors or whatever the case may be, what do we teach them? Open the Bible and show them what it says about cosigning. It'd be an opportunity to teach at that point. And, and listen, what happens to us is we allow emotions to enter into these engagements, don't we? And, you know, well, you know, it's the kids. And, uh, you know, if we don't, I mean, it's, and we put ourselves in that position. And we need to be cautious about that. Now, never allow yourself, regardless of the circumstances, to enter into a contract of this nature is really what Solomon said to his son. Don't even enter into something like this because you're putting yourself and perhaps maybe even your family in harm's way for the, uh, and becoming an enabler to someone else. So he said, avoid it altogether. Don't even strike hands with these kinds of people. And he says, because it's going to lend itself to hardship. Now, you can become an enabler to someone who's incapable of handling their finances or Therefore, uh, even assist them to further, da further damage themselves. And they can end up further hurting themselves rather than helping themselves. Now, you say, how do you, how do you handle this? How do you pray about this? How do you think about this? What do you say about this? Let me give you a New Testament verse that I use a lot uh, when it comes to making decisions, not only for my household, but specifically uh, when it comes to financial uh, decisions that I make in my home. One of the things that I do is I turn to James chapter 3, and verse 17. Now, James chapter 3 and verse 17, if you go back and you read, he talks about all these things that entrap us in this life. And then he comes down to verse 17 and he says this, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. So what kind of wisdom comes from above? Pure wisdom. Now, when you think of something that's pure, what do you think? <laughs> it's clean, isn't it? Uh, you know, at my house, we, we uh, get this salt and we put it in there so that it doesn't smell like sulfur and it doesn't taste so bad, you know, and, and it softens the water and does all these kinds of things. And, and, and yet my wife will get one of those Brita things and you pour the water in there and then it filters the water out so that the water is a little more pure, a little more clean. Why? Because then you can't taste all the stuff that goes along with it. When you think of pure, you think of something clean, don't you? So think about this now. It, the Bible says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. So if it's pure, that means it's clean. There's nothing in it. So whenever you're getting ready to make decisions in your life, regardless of whether it's financial or not, in this particular case, we're talking about finances, do you seek God and seek his pure wisdom on the decision you're making? Then secondly, it says this. He said it's first pure, then peaceable. Do you know the person that might be in a tough situation, peaceable to them might be, uh, Ben, you need to co-sign for this and it'll bring peace to my life. It may not bring peace to your life. It may cause me some peace for a time, but it may not cause you any peace for a time. But here's the thing. 
the wisdom which cometh from above is first pure, then the Bible says it's peaceable. So if it's peaceable, that means there's a calmness about the decision being made, doesn't it? Now, most of us don't do this. How many will be honest with ourselves tonight? We don't go this far. We just think, I got to make this decision. I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. I got to do that. How many have been in the I got to do this thing? <laughs> we just got to do this. And so we follow through with it, not really thinking about scripturally where I am in relationship to my God. And so he said, it's pure. And then he said, it's peaceable. If it's peaceable, there's a calmness about it. And then he said, it's gentle. <laughs> in other words, it's not forcible. It's not going to be heavy. It's not going to be, if you think about something that's gentle, right? You think about a mother just holding a child, right? There's, there's a, a, a kind of a gentleness about this thing. And then he says, and easy to be entreated. In other words, you can take it in. It's not hard to comprehend. It's not hard to understand what you're doing. And then he said, it's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. In other words, God's not going to go back on his word. One thing that I look for when I'm trying to make decisions is there a peace which cometh from above. That's the peace I'm looking for. That's the kind of wisdom that I'm looking for. And so when you're making decisions, whether for yourself or your family, or you're getting ready to enter into a contract with someone, or you're getting ready to do something like that, listen, you need to consult God, and you need that wisdom which cometh from above that's first pure, then it's peaceable. Are you with me? And so when you're trying to make decisions, don't say, well, you know, it's the kids, or, uh, you know, she's just so down and out right now. If we don't help her, who will? And, and my dad always said this, and, and I think it's biblical, but he, he never used the scriptures to teach it. He said, if you're going to do something for him, you might as well give it to him. He said, don't enter into some sort of contract. He said, you're going to end up getting mad. You're going to get upset. He said, because if things go wrong, you're going to get bitter about this if it doesn't work out. He said, so if you have it to give, give it. But if you don't, don't enter into a contract with somebody that you're going to have to be responsible for paying for that thing. I don't think he ever read this in the Proverbs. But he was smart enough to know not to do that. And he said, especially with family, he says, with family, if you have it to give, just give it to them. Don't enter into a contract that way. And he said, because you're going to end up hurting yourselves. Now, Solomon's advice was if you enter into such a contract with someone else, get out of that arrangement as quickly as possible. In other words, as soon as they can take over on their own, let them take it. If you've already entered into something like this, as soon as they're capable of doing it themselves, get out of it. Get away from it. So if you've already entered into it, Solomon's saying to his son, if you've already done this, get away from it as quickly as you can. Or don't enter into it at all. If you haven't put your signature to a sheet of paper yet, don't do it. <laughs> Remove yourself from that situation. So to be involved in this type of agreement, he said it's like a deer coming in the sights of a hunter or a bird into the trap of a fowler. Now, <clears throat> I'm a hunter, and I love bow hunting. I really do. And I had a, uh, I was in my tree stand, and I was out to get this big buck that uh, Connor and I had a trail camera set up uh, in our property there in Virginia. And this big buck kept coming in. And I mean, it was huge. And it kept coming in right in front of my tree stand, Chris. I mean, it was like clockwork, man. And it wasn't hunting season yet, like clockwork. In the evening, in the morning. In the evening, in the morning. And here comes hunting season. In the evening, in the morning, right? I see this. I go down there. The day that hunting season starts, don't see him in the evening, don't see him in the morning. So I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and I could hear something snort behind me, Aaron, right behind me. And I thought, oh, good night. Here, I knew you could feel that tingly feeling. If you're a hunter, you know what I'm talking about. You get that tingly feeling. You're like, here he comes. 
And I mean, just this joy of rapture all over me. <laughs> I'm thinking, here comes this deer. And I'm waiting, 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 waiting. I could hear it. And all of a sudden, James, he comes out of the woods. And there was this little scrawny little three-point. And we had one dangling thing here and two over here sticking up look really weird. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. And Paul, I was sitting there all day freezing my tail off, <laughs> waiting for this deer to come out. And I thought, man. And so this deer comes down, and, uh, and he comes right down in front of me. And I said, man, you better get out of here. I'm going to shoot you because I wanted some venison, Miss Vicky. I like venison a lot. And I thought, man, I am going to get this thing if he doesn't leave here. And he came down, and then he turned around, and he went back up, and then he comes right back down the trail and stopped right in front of my tree stand. I said, you had better get out of here or you're toast. So he walks to this side of my tree stand, stood there and looked right out at me like, go ahead, I dare you. Now, at that point, he was less than 20 yards away, so if you ever shot a bow, you know that. I mean, you can almost look and just shoot it. And I pulled, I stood up, and I pulled my bow back, and he's standing there. Go ahead, I dare you. I thought. So I read this. <laughs> to be in this type of agreement is like a deer coming into the sights of a hunter. <laughs> I was standing there, and I was like, you had better leave. And it just wouldn't. So then he turns, and he gave me the best shot I could ever have, because I never like to shoot a deer when it's standing straight at me like this, because I always try to get him at an angle, because if you shoot him in the belly, it makes a mess of things. I always like to shoot him just, if they're just kind of angled away from me a little bit, and I shoot him this way, I love to shoot him that way, because it goes usually right through the vital organs, you know, and hits that heart, and boom, they're down. And then I don't have to chase them around. And so he stood there, and I'm holding my bow like this, and he's turned with his head facing that way. And so he turns around and decides to turn just like this. I said, good night. You're done? <laughs> Boom, he dropped right there. I said, well, that's not my big buck, but it was a deer in the sights of the hunter. <laughs> and I had him. Here's what this says. He talks about this. He said, do this, my son. And deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of the friend. Go and humble thyself. He said, don't even sleep. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of a hunter. In other words, it's in the sights. And what you want to do is you want to get away while you can. Amen? Get out of it. Get yourself out of the situation. Now, I believe God affords that to us as believers. So this type, he says, as, as the sights of a hunter or a bird in the trap of a fowler. Uh, there's a couple of fellas uh, down in Virginia, uh, down at Brother Edwards. We used to have a uh, big banquet every year uh, um, and a wild game supper down there. And these two fellows would come in and they would teach us about these uh, birds, these particular birds, and, and they were hunting birds. And they became fowlers themselves. And, and they would go and, and bring these birds in and they would teach these birds to hunt for them. <laughs> But to get those birds, they had to trap them. And so they would set up a trap, and so the birds couldn't see the net. And what would happen is they would plant the bait there, and the birds would come in, and boom, they'd trap that bird. Now here's the thing. Or a bird in the trap of a fowler. In other words, you can't even see it coming. Or you don't think it's coming. <laughs> And all of a sudden, you're trapped. Now, to avoid the trap, be open 
about your biblical position. To avoid the trap, be open about your biblical position. Hold to the scriptures and say, this is, this is the reason I can't do this for you. It's God's fault, <laughs> right? But it's not. God said, here's how to protect yourself. And so you get in here in the biblical position, and so let that individual know that the Bible, te- what it teaches, and that you want to hold to God's standard when it comes to lending and borrowing money. So I cannot do this for you because of what the Bible teaches. Is that that hard? That's not difficult at all, is it? But the fact is, is will you take that step in nature to stay in good standing with the Lord when it comes to this kind of thing? So this is not the thought that helping out another is morally evil. It's not morally evil to help someone else out. Uh, But more to the point, I just think it's utterly foolish, according to the Scriptures, to get yourself ensnared with something like this. And so it's just utterly foolish to co-sign for a loan. So the, the reason... Uh, when you reason through the, the truth with them, if they do not have enough of, of a credit rating to borrow against their own signature, and you as a co-signature will immediately be trapped into their poor business dealings, you could end up trapping yourself. And so you've got to be cautious of that. Let me give you another verse that will help us, and this is in the New Testament. And many of you probably know the, the, the first verse, but the second part of it is ex- extremely important to us. He said, if any of you lack wisdom... What are we to do? Let him ask of God. How many of us, (laughs) you say, well, no, I got it. I'm smart enough to figure it out. I know what this is. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who give it to all men how? Liberally. God will give you what you need as far as making choices. And and, and he says, he give it to all men liberally and braideth not, and it shall be given him. In other words, he's not going to retract. He's not going to pull back on what he's given you, the wisdom that he's given you. But here's verse 6. But let him ask in faith. But let him ask in faith. You see, God, I'm asking you to help me based upon my faith. Not just what I want, but I'm asking you in faith, Lord. He said, but let him ask in faith. Now watch this, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven by the wind, uh, driven with the wind and tossed. In other words, you're just tossed around about your thoughts. You're not really stable in what you're thinking. You're not really consulting with the Lord. Now, all too many of us make decisions based on feelings. How many of you would say you've done that one too many times? How many of us have made decisions based on how I feel? Right? I mean, let me tell you something. Amazon counts on that. Walmart counts on that. Target counts on that. Hey, listen, Macy's counts on that. Sears counts on that. Uh, I'm telling you, all these companies count on the fact that you make decisions based on how you feel. That's why they set the stores up like they do. When little kids come in and the most prominent toy that year, where do they put it? In the most prominent place in the store, right? You go in and you're grocery shopping and the most prominent sold uh, products uh, or the products that they want to get rid of the most, guess where they are on the shelf? They're eye level. <laughs> they want to taunt you. <laughs> and, and you go in and you don't realize that this is the type of stuff that they're doing. But the idea is here, all too many of our decisions are based on feelings. And listen, we love our families. We may love some of our neighbors a great deal. We may love people and we want to help them. And, I, and we base our decision upon how we feel not on the facts, not on truth, not on Bible principle. We do it sheerly, sheerly upon how I feel about this situation. I'll respond to it in that way. 
And sometimes based on feelings, maybe even false thoughts. <laughs> maybe even on false thoughts. I know someone that was buying something based upon the fact that they were going to get a bonus in December. And guess what didn't happen? Guess what didn't happen? The company didn't give the bonus in December. Now, that's just sheerly upon what I thought was going to happen. But it didn't. And now where am I? You see, the money's not in the bank, it's in my mind. <laughs> and then whenever it occurs and I do it and I've already made the decision and I'm committed, now what do I do? And you have to be conscientious about not doing that. So maybe it's based on feelings, maybe it's based on even false thoughts, but we're challenged to do this. Be a faith-based decision maker, especially when it comes to lending money, when it comes to borrowing money. Let us be faith-based, not just feeling or not just what I think. Don't do that to yourselves. Don't do that to your family. Don't do that to the person that is asking of you because you could become an enabler to them and cause them further damage than actually helping them uh, on down the road. Now, this is the case of perhaps a verbal agreement here. When I read this, I think he entered into a verbal agreement. <laughs> And no signatures have hit the page yet. Uh, and, and listen, uh, if you've not put your signature on the page and it's just a verbal agreement, walk away. And tell them what the reason is that you're walking away. Show them your reason for avoiding the trap. And, uh, and, and usually, uh, whenever you get into something like this, it's a high interest rate, folks. I'm promising you that. You can look around. It's going to be a high interest rate. It's going to be higher than what the normal market value is on things and what they're lending money for. Now, the clear point to avoiding the trap, don't co-sign. <laughs> don't get yourself involved in it. If you're already there, get out of that agreement as quickly as you can and let that person become responsible for their own debt. And what I'm sharing with you is, even if it's family, if you have it to give, give it to them. Don't get in a usury situation with your family either because that's wrong because not even the Israelites did that. And you get into an interest rate that you're going to charge your family for lending them money, and that's unwise on our part. And so the challenge to us is be wise with borrowing, especially when it comes to co-signing for loans. Even a friend or a family member, try to avoid it at all costs. Amen? All right.